With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Dig, a history podcast. In November 1910, two tragic events occurred in Rock Springs, Texas, a tiny rural community almost 200 miles east of Austin and San Antonio. Within the span of a few days, two individuals were violently murdered, one killed point-blank by a shotgun blast to the back and to the head, another burned alive, surrounded by a crowd of angry onlookers. The remains of both people were buried a mere 50 yards away from one another, segregated by a fence, a small gate, and a line of trees which designated sacred ground reserved for one shade of skin and for another. Over 100 years later, historical retrospection clouds the realities of those fateful days. The power of media, prejudice, and memory both erase and elevate a central moment in history that shaped actions and opinions for years to come. Today we are examining violence and lynching towards ethnic Mexican people along the Texas-Mexico border during the early 20th century. Particularly, we are discussing the mob violence or lynching against Antonio Rodriguez in Rock Springs, Texas in November of 1910. Typically, when lynching in America is discussed, it is in reference to the obscene amount of lynchings against black people in the United States between Reconstruction and the mid-20th century. However, anti-Mexican violence was also a harsh reality of racial violence throughout the American Southwest. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Avril. And we are your historians for this episode of DIG. Listener. 
listeners, we're part of an exciting new community, the Himalaya app. This is a space where you can listen to all your favorite podcasts and for shows like ours, become a member in our community. For less than $3 a month, you'll get access to the back catalog of our episodes ad-free. We'll also be sharing some exclusive content with our members in the near future. So download the Himalaya app and make it your go-to for all things podcast. We also want to be sure to thank all of our Patreon supporters, but especially our auger and excavator level patrons. Eric, Maddie, Colin, Susan, Christopher, Peggy, Danielle, Anne, Maggie, and Iris. Though your numbers grow every month, each and every one of you is a miracle to us. Thank you for thinking us worthy of your generous support. We love you. Yes. In November 1910, a man named Antonio Rodriguez was arrested by sheriff's deputies for the alleged murder of Effie Henderson, an Anglo-American woman near the town of Rock Spring, Texas. On November 3, 1910, the English-language San Angelo Standard Times reported that a quote-unquote unknown Mexican had killed the wife of a prominent rancher in Rock Springs. According to the Standard Times' article, Quote, the Mexican rode up to the house, called hello, and when Mrs. Henderson came to the door, he shot and killed her instantly. The paper relayed that a posse had gathered to hunt down the man and went on to describe how the man would probably be lynched by the crowd if they found him. The next day, the English-language San Antonio Express picked up the story and wrote more about the apparent events. According to this paper, 20-year-old Antonio Rodriguez, whom the report said was from Las Vacas, Mexico, allegedly shot Mrs. Lem Henderson after she spoke mean to him. The article said that Rodriguez rode up to the Henderson house around 2 in the afternoon while Mrs. Henderson sat on the porch sewing. Allegedly, they argued, and Rodriguez shot at her twice, once hitting her in the head and the other in the heart. The only witness was one of Henderson's young children. When Lem Henderson arrived home, he found his wife dead, and his little girl told him, quote, a Mexican shot Mama. He then rode to the nearest neighbor's house and began to recruit volunteers to find the murderer. Word spread that Antonio Rodriguez was a disgruntled employee of the Hendersons. A posse of armed men found Rodriguez on a neighboring ranch. They arrested him and threw him in the Edwards County Jail, located in the Rock Springs Town Square. Details of Effie Henderson's murder were allegedly obtained during an interrogation of Rodriguez at the jail, where, apparently under duress, he admitted to the murder. Meanwhile, a mob gathered outside the police station and overpowered the one extra guard that the local sheriff had placed at the jail. The mob dragged Rodriguez from his jail cell and out into the street. There, they tied him to a mesquite tree, poured kerosene on him, and lit him on fire burning him alive as a large crowd cheered on. According to the San Antonio Express, not one person took pity on Rodriguez and shot him, instead leaving him to die from asphyxiation and burning alone. Like the Jim Crow South, the Mexican-U.S. borderlands were also a place of harsh racial violence, including instances of lynching. 
During the 1910s, lynch mobs targeted Mexicans in the United States more often than the previous 30 years combined, and the lynching of ethnic Mexican people in Texas almost doubled the number of those in other border states. In fact, by 1915, lynching of ethnic Mexicans was so commonplace among the Texas border that one newspaper coarsely editorialized, quote, lynch law is never a pleasant thing to contemplate, but it is not to be denied that it is sometimes the only means of administering justice. Lynchings like the one perpetrated against Rodriguez are examples of spectacle lynchings, where the public execution of individuals witnessed by hundreds or even thousands of spectators often included torture or corpse mutilation. Many lynchings of black men and women in the South were spectacle lynchings, often with huge crowds. Spectacle lynchings of ethnic Mexicans were not as common. Their killings more often happened at night or in secluded areas. The El Paso Times reported that the crowd size watching Rodriguez's excruciating death was in the thousands, which is unbelievably large considering that Edwards County, where Rock Springs is, is sparsely populated, is and was, um, and really hundreds of miles from any larger cities. But regardless of the true size of the crowd, it was obviously a large crowd. However, in the case of Rodriguez, the spectacle lynching of an ethnic Mexican man was not only a horrendous act of violence, it also became a serious threat to international diplomatic relations. His brutal mob execution without a trial and the subsequent media coverage of the lynching provoked immediate anti-American reactions all over Mexico. The story broke in Mexico City on November 5th, with the widely circulated newspaper El País writing, quote, Rodriguez was accused of murdering Mrs. Henderson, a rich American who lived here. Despite the fact that there was no proof, the crowd, for a simple dislike of Mexicans, took him from the jail and burned him alive in a tree. The savage act by Americans confirms this fact. In the United States, Mexicans have no rights and immigration is very dangerous. It is almost certain that if Americans were killed in Mexico under the same conditions, there would already be, raining down from our neighboring country, numerous threats and demands for compensation. There is indignation among Mexicans here over this lynching. Angry rioters took to the streets in Mexico City and throughout towns along the Texas-Mexico border. They attacked American-owned businesses and burned American flags. One American citizen was shot and killed in Mexico as retaliation for Rodriguez's execution. Mexican journalists wasted no time in pointing out how the lynching of Antonio Rodriguez made the contradictions of American democracy and racism clear. One Mexico City daily newspaper called the people of the United States, quotes, giants of the dollar, pygmies of culture, and barbarous whites of the North and they criticized the hypocrisy of representations of America as being more civilized than Mexico. One editorial framed the lynching as more evidence of U.S. colonization, saying, quote, Not even today are obliterated the traces left by your putrefying claws, which in 1847, like hungry buzzards, you feasted upon Upper California, Texas, New Mexico, so right here, they're referring to the Treaty of Hildago that in 1848 ceded almost 55% of Mexico to the United States after the Mexican-American War. 
U.S. newspapers and politicians constantly portrayed Mexico as a backwards, uncivilized country. The lynching prompted students in Mexico City to circle a petition set to expose this hypocrisy. It read, quote, Barbarous Mexico, they call our country, they who applied the torch to the clothes of Rodriguez. Barbarous Mexico, they who defied and outraged the law, snatching from it a man whose life ought to have been sacred because it was under society's protection. Barbarous Mexico, they, those organized assassins of defenseless strangers and oppressed Negroes. And so it goes on. These students were calling foul on American self-proclaimed civilization, saying instead that the U.S. is a barbarous, white supremacist nation. One commentator said that the mob that surrounded Rodriguez as he was burned alive was not made up of, quote, hordes of cannibals, nor equatorial Africans, nor wild men from Malaysia, nor Spanish inquisitors, but were instead the, quote, descendants of Washington, of Lincoln, of Franklin, well-dressed, educated, proud of their virtues. The lynching and the fast spread of its news ignited protests across Mexico and sent working class men, women, and students into the streets. Three protesters were killed when law enforcement attempted to arrest student demonstrators and police charged into a crowd in Mexico City with drawn swords. Porfirio Diaz, the Mexican president dictator who had been in power for the last 20 years and supported wealthy landowners and industrialists, was becoming extremely unpopular with a large contingent of Mexicans who believed that Diaz pandered to American business interests. However, Diaz himself believed that the anti-American demonstrations after the Rodriguez lynching were, quote, simply a convenient cloak for Mexican revolutionists, whom Diaz estimated, quote, are active in every part of the republic. As to the depth of the anti-Americanism in the riots, Diaz believed that, quote, the students had been used as a tool to discredit the government and that the crime committed in Rock Springs, Texas, had served as a pretext to arouse the young men into unlawful action. Which, in some ways, was kind of true, as the demonstrators' anger was more towards their own government's failure to press for justice for Rodriguez and his family than against Americans. Many Mexicans were outraged over the obvious lack of justice given to Rodriguez, as well as the glaring hypocrisy of foreign and domestic policies that gave Americans tremendous influence with Diaz, while Mexicans possessed no ability to influence American domestic domestic affairs. Ambassador Henry Lane Wilson of the United States called the riots happening in Mexico over Rodriguez's death a disgrace to Mexico City and to the Mexican people and accused the Mexican government of doing little to head off the riots. English language newspapers in the U.S. mostly represented Rodriguez's lynching as a justified means to an end. Often, to rationalize racial violence, newspapers and some residents turned to familiar racist tropes that said non-white men threatened white women's purity or virtue. So said another way, within this trope, white women were vulnerable to rape by non-white men. Ida B. Wells had pointed this out in her expose of lynching of black men, uh, her, her book, Lynch Law in America, or pamphlet. Um, she had done this 10 years earlier. 
So this trope was used to justify violence against black men in the South and Mexican men in the Southwest. And almost immediately, the murder of Effie Henderson was cast in these racial tones of delicate and violated white womanhood. To prove the point, an editorial in the New York Times said that the mob's actions against Rodriguez were, quote, justified as the lives of the ranchers' wives had been unsafe because of the attempted ravages of Mexican settlers along the Rio Grande. But who were these wives that everyone was worried about? As often, they were nameless in print. Effie Greer Henderson is often erased from this particular story. Instead, it's cast as a showdown between masculinities and race, a rancher's property, i.e. his wife, versus a Mexican laborer. And Effie's name is often omitted from both current histories as well as articles that were written contemporaneously. She's either mentioned as just an Anglo rancher's wife or as Mrs. Lim Henderson, which was her husband's name. But Effie Greer Henderson was 40 years old at the time of her murder. She was originally from Arkansas and came to Texas to be a school teacher. She married Lem, also known as L.K. Henderson, in 1893. He was a cattle rancher and former Texas ranger. Effie was his second wife. His first wife died nine years earlier. Effie and Lem had five children together, the youngest being born in 1910. Two years after Effie died, Lem married the children's nurse, Molly Green. He was 40 years older than Molly. Effie Greer Henderson was an educated mother of five and wife to a prominent Anglo rancher. On November 2nd, 1910, she was murdered on her front porch, shot once in the back and once in the head. Accounts differ as to what happened. Effie's two youngest children were at home with her on the day of the murder. As her second youngest child, Hattie, told it later as an adult, a strange man came up to the house and asked her mother for work. When her mother turned around after telling the man that her husband was out in the field, the man shot her in the back and then, quote, without pity, the murderer placed the rifle to the back of her head and sent a bullet crashing through her brain. An account by one of Effie's older sons, Tom, who was nine years old at the time, said that he and his father came back to the ranch house at the end of the day. He described a horrible scene. As they came up to the house, they heard the baby crying. When they went in, they found his mother and baby brother lying on the floor in a pool of blood, the baby trying to nurse from his dead mother. According to Tom's version, everyone immediately knew it was Antonio Rodriguez who killed his mother because he was an ex-employee of the ranch who had beef with the Hendersons. Other accounts raise suspicion about the identity of the murderer. Some postulate that Lem was the murderer. Others say that someone else entirely killed Effie and Antonio Rodriguez was picked up as a scapegoat. Oral interviews done by Monica Munoz Martinez show the town of Rock Springs, still to this day, generally divide along racial lines with Anglos believing that Rodriguez killed Effie Henderson and with ethnic Mexicans believing that a racist mob lynched an innocent man. Media reports from Spanish-language newspapers and English newspapers almost immediately began printing these different opinions of the murder and subsequent lynching. In these accounts, Rodriguez was either an evil brute who ravaged a young mother, 
or an innocent Mexican in the wrong place at the wrong time who was murdered by an angry white mob. The Spanish-language press condemned the violence and suggested that this anti-Mexican mob violence was a continuation of the brutality inflicted on black Americans in the South. One newspaper wrote, quote, The iron hoof of the Texas Yankee in his barbarous and savage sentiments of race hatred is now trampling upon the Negro. But the rottenness of his core has spread out so as to wound and even kill a Mexican by the iniquitous method of lynching. The Spanish-language newspaper in Laredo, Texas, La Cronica, denounced the mob violence in an article titled Barbarisms and condemned the inaction of local Anglo authorities. One U.S. district attorney even pointed out that the federal government needed to pass legislation that gave federal courts jurisdiction to at least try Americans accused of assaulting foreign citizens. He warned that assaulting or killing foreign nationals could lead to war with other nations and trigger attacks against U.S. foreign investments. He said, quote, Every American who is in Mexico is held liable for the assault because a Texas mob burned a Mexican. He wasn't concerned about the racial violence per se, but about how that violence could threaten American diplomatic relations. However, it was one argument that supported federal anti-lynching legislation. If the federal government could not pass such laws to protect individual people, maybe the threat against American business abroad or even war might push such legislation. However, English-language newspapers continued to fuel the flames. The El Paso Times published an article on November 14th that said an armed Mexican mob was marching towards Rock Springs to exact revenge for Rodriguez's burning death. The rumor spread quickly, prompting the New York Times to report that more than 2,000 Texas cowboys were heading towards Rock Springs to defend against the Mexican invasion. Two days later, when no violent mobs or mercenary cowboys descended on the rural town, the El Paso Times conceded that the tales of armed Mexican demonstrators were just rumors. The Mexico City newspaper El País derided the erroneous reports, saying, quote, The American press, dedicated to exploiting and exciting, has published the rumors of Mexicans ready to attack Rock Springs from Del Rio. They didn't arrive, and the U.S. press looks ridiculous. The sheriff looks stupid for warning of danger. Mexican officials asked to conduct their own investigations into what happened in Rock Springs. The Mexican government announced that it would start conducting its own independent investigation of the Rodriguez affair through its consul at Eagle Pass. At the same time, Francisco Leon de Barra, the Mexican ambassador to the U.S., uh, presented a claim for reparations to the United States Department of State. In order to have a valid claim for reparations, Mexican officials had to find Rodriguez's next of kin. They began searching for his relatives in Mexico. The Laredo newspaper La Cronica reported that Rodriguez's family lived in Guadalajara, Mexico, where he had a wife and one daughter. Reportedly, Rodriguez had left his family only a few months earlier and had mailed letters home as he traveled through Mexico and into Texas. However, the English-language press printed stories that Rodriguez was an American citizen, and therefore Mexico had no right to claim reparations. A newspaper in Victoria, Texas, printed a story that said Rodriguez was from Eagle Pass, a small Texas city on the border. 
the Dallas Morning News printed a story that said Rodriguez was from New Mexico, which, if true, would have canceled Mexico's demand for reparations and made the United States the aggrieved party in the anti-American demonstrations. Thus, the murders of both Effie Henderson and Antonio Rodriguez became parts of larger diplomatic power struggles between the U.S. and Mexico, at least in how it played out in the press. A trial was convened on December 15th in the Edwards County District Court to investigate the mob killing of Antonio Rodriguez. Not surprisingly, the grand jury did not indict any of the mob participants. A newspaper article said that the town lacked any remorse because, quote, the entire town took part in the lynching. Historian Monica Munoz Martinez documents how the memory of Antonio Rodriguez's lynching simmered among the Anglos and Mexicans within Rock Springs for generations and asks what it means for residents to live in a town defined by such an act of mob violence. The memory sparks different feelings depending on which victim one mourns. Some believe the lynching was just retribution for a callous murder of an innocent mother. Others believe it was an act of violent racism, indicative of such acts played out all over the country. Munoz Martinez writes, quote, The lynching of Antonio Rodriguez offers an opportunity to see the politics of memory on a local level. And I have to point out that Munoz Martinez's book, The Injustice Never Leaves You, is an excellent look at not only this anti-Mexican mob violence that took place along the border, but also how those injustices became ingrained into the DNA of the region, of the landscape, and the people who continue to live there. And her book definitely shaped how I framed this episode. The tombstone for Effie Greer Henderson reads, Mother. Born July 20th, 1869, died November 2nd, 1910. She is buried on the Anglo side of the cemetery. Roughly 50 yards away, a pink granite tombstone reads Antonio Ramirez, burned at stake November 3rd, 1910. However, many residents say this is not where Rodriguez's remains are located. In fact, no one knows who placed the granite headstone there, and Rodriguez's name is actually spelled with an S on it on the end instead of the more common spelling with a Z on the end of the name. Townsfolk instead say his remains are buried under an unmarked cement cross and round stone with a hole in it for a single candle. Both the cement cross and the pink granite headstone are located on the Mexican side of the cemetery as the graveyard was segregated between Anglos, Mexicans, and Blacks, just as many Texas schools and restaurants and public areas were. Just one year later, in June 1911, a 12- to 14-year-old boy named Antonio Gomez was dragged to death behind a buggy in Thorndale, Texas. Gomez was the son of a local migrant worker and was alleged to have stabbed and killed Charlie Zeichshong, the white owner of a local garage. Various accounts list Gomez's age differently, as either 12 years old or 14. A mob beat and disfigured Gomez before wrapping a chain around his neck. Mob leaders then dragged him behind a horse or a horse-drawn buggy. The accounts differ. He was dragged into the middle of town, where a crowd of approximately 200 people had gathered. Again... Gomez's death was another act of mob violence and spectacle lynching, 
like Rodriguez's, but also much more like the spectacle lynching of African Americans across the American South. Historians William Kerrigan and Clive Webb write about the Gomez lynching. Quote, The dragging of the body through the town paralleled a key element to many of the spectacle lynchings of African Americans. The long, slow, deliberate execution of the young man was a blunt gesture of the power of mob leaders and a clear warning to Mexicans about the dangers of seeking revenge on Anglos. The symbolic and ritualistic elements of the Gomez lynching undermine any argument that the killing was necessary because of a low or ineffective court system. Again, Gomez's lynching ignited protests from Mexican officials that brought unwanted attention to Thorndale, Texas, and American racism in general. Gomez's spectacle death was one of the last spectacle killings of Mexican nationals. Instead, the majority of Mexican victims of mob violence did not die in ritualized daylight public killings, but in the middle of the night or in remote ranch lands, hidden gulches, and deserted roadsides, according to Kerrigan and Webb. However, by no means did the threat of lynching subside. An attempted lynching of a 15-year-old Leon Cardenia Martinez in Pecos meant that the Texas Rangers had to be called in to prevent a mob from killing the teenager. His father said that after he was arrested for allegedly killing the white school teacher Emma Brown, police placed a shotgun to his head and forced him to confess to her murder. Although he was not lynched by the mob, Martinez was sentenced to death by hanging. Anti-Mexican violence proved a catalyst for the burgeoning ethnic Mexican civil rights movement. Texas Mexicans from both sides of the border met in Laredo, Texas for El Premier Congreso Mexicanista, or the first Mexican Congress, in September 1911. This event was organized by the Idar family, who invited members of lodges and mutual aid societies, all Mexican consuls in the state, and Texas Mexican journalists. They also issued a special invitation to women from the region to come. The event joined Mexicans from all over to address the growing violence, racism, and lack of education and economic opportunities for ethnic Mexicans in Texas and the U.S. Concurrently, women held their own Congress, La Ligua Femenil, with Jovita Idar as its first president. This group included a cross-class group of Mexican heritage women from both sides of the border who organized to promote bilingual education and support of working women, particularly washerwomen or lavanderas. They also advocated for women's suffrage in both the U.S. and Mexico. This racialized atmosphere was one of the key factors that motivated leaders of the Mexican-American civil rights movement. Violence along the border intensified throughout the 1910s, and attorney J.T. Canales called the race war a, quote, wholesale slaughter of Mexican Texans. The growing number of deaths led to legislative hearings that exposed the racial crimes of the Texas Rangers. Uh, among the many lynchings, none was more well-known than the burning to death of Antonio Rodriguez, and many of these early Mexican civil rights organizers went on to found other organizations and movements throughout the 1920s, one being the League of United Latin American Citizens, or LULAC, which was founded in 1929. The 1960s and 1970s saw an upsurge in Mexican-American political activism. In Texas, 
Organizing for Mexican-American voting rights began to overturn the Anglo political machines that had dominated the state and disenfranchise Texas Mexicans and black Texans. Additionally, the growing Chicano movement began to document and historicize anti-Mexican violence like the lynchings of Antonio Rodriguez and Antonio Gomez, while labor strikes in the Texas Valley and protests over the Vietnam War fueled young Latinx students and activists to participate in El Movimiento, or the movement. Also, newly emerging Chicano studies programs were growing, particularly at the University of Texas, with scholars such as Americo Paredes and George Sanchez and Jose Limon, who all wrote important and founding books in what was called Chicano history. Oral histories passed among ethnic Mexicans in the region made sure that the lynching of Antonio Rodriguez was not forgotten. One man described the saying that was common when referring to Rock Springs. He said ethnic Mexicans told other Mexicans, Mucho cuidado con Rock Springs, son muy desgraciados, or be very careful in Rock Springs. They are disgraceful and miserable people. A write-up in the St. Louis Star and Times on November 4, 1910, said this about Antonio Rodriguez's death, quote, Rodriguez showed no emotion when tied to the stake and died without a plea for mercy. However, oral histories of Mexican Texans from Rock Springs say that as he burned, he yelled out that the town and its inhabitants would be cursed from now on. Many in Rock Springs believe that a tornado that ripped through the town of Rock Springs in April of 1927 killing 72 people and seriously injuring over 150 more was God's retribution for the lynching and evidence of Rodriguez's curse. The population at the time was only 1,000, so this loss of life was absolutely devastating. According to some, a man thought to be the first person to throw a match on Rodriguez's kerosene-soaked body suffered an extremely gruesome death in the tornado when the high winds drove a wooden post through his heart. The Edwards County Courthouse and Jail, where Rodriguez had been jailed, was one of the few structures to survive the tornado. The Texas State Historical Survey Committee gave the Edwards County Courthouse a historical marker in 1967, recognizing its importance in the founding of the county. A marker placed in the town square in 1973 lists the courthouse and the jail as two buildings that withstood the tornado of 1927 that killed so many people. Rogelio Munoz, a former district attorney, relayed how recollections of people with memories of racial violence show how they engage with public monuments like the courthouse and the plaque. In oral interviews, he said, Well, every time I go to Rock Springs, there's a plaque at the courthouse, and the plaque talks about the storm that occurred in the 1920s that came to the town. And the Mexicans believe that it was punishment from God for burning this guy. So this plaque means one thing to one set of people and one thing to another set of people in the town. For the Anglos, this plaque represents the town's triumph over the storm. For the ethnic Mexicans who grew up with their parents and grandparents talking about Rodriguez's lynching and how the tornado was retribution for this killing, they think of this commemorative plaque of the tornado as a reminder of the lynching. There is not an official historical marker in Rock Springs, Texas, that designates the history of this watershed lynching. One must travel over 200 miles south to Laredo in Webb County to see a Texas state historical marker that mentions the lynching. 
the marker to honor El Premier Congreso Mexicanista in 1911, mentions the Rock Springs lynching as a catalyst for the Mexican-Texan civil rights movement. So thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I mean, as much as one can enjoy an episode that's about gratuitous violence. Um, Please check out the show notes because I have all of the um, books that I use to find or to write this episode. And again, particularly Monica Munoz's, uh, Munoz Martinez's book, The Injustice Never Leaves You. Yeah. Definitely a must read. And man, I got to give a shout out to like going to the American Historical Association because I picked that book up. Hmm. I don't know. They're from the Oxford University Press for like five bucks or nice. something. You know, I've been on my shelf and I've been wanting to read it. And, and so it. we had this violence series come up and I was like, great opportunity to this read This is it. the moment. Um, and actually, when I was Googling uh, Munoz Martinez, she um, recently spoke to Congress about hmm. some of the um, anti-immigration legislation going on in the Trump administration right now. She had mm-hmm. some, um, it was her written testimony, basically just like explaining this type of anti-Mexican violence along the border and yeah, how the longer history um, of it and all that. Yeah. And how, you know, putting people in cages is still perpetrating that. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, absolutely. So I need to go recover from this, but you all, if you could leave us a rating and review, five star review on iTunes, that would help us get found by future listeners. Mm-hmm. And you can always join our Facebook dig history pod squad, where we share memes and ask historical questions and are a little bit sillier than even here, although we're pretty silly on here usually. This is going to be a somber series, but it's it's a good... Yeah, this whole series is violence. Yeah, so... Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Effie Greer Henderson was 40 years old. 40 years old. 40 years old. Blah, blah, blah. Although... No. It, no. Just, just put a period there. That's... Period. Yeah. The riots. Although it went... Little to head off... Little to head off... To prove the point, an editorial in the New York Times... Just yeah, forget the advanced notice because I don't know what that's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That, that's made up. <laughs> that's not true. That's just not true. Effie Greer. Fifty, 50 <laughs> years old. You're fifty. No, you're only. I'm forty-one. You're twenty-nine forever. I can just look at you and know that. There was this dude that came to my school when I was like a freshman. His name was Armando, of an ethnic Mexican man. It's it. What are you doing, you silly goose? Who's out there? Come inside, you ding dong. There's somebody out in your yard. And control that dog. I want you to rub her until she shuts up. No, just snuggle her to death. Armando. And oh my god, I wanted Armando so bad. He was fancy. Mm. All the ladies wanted Armando. Armando. He's like on the cover of all the romance novels, bearing his chest. It's like that Lady Gaga song. Song. Um, Alejandro. Alejandro. It's just the O sound. It's very masculine. Well, that is a sign for masculinity. That is a sign for masculinity. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. 
and you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.